From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. Anyone who has ever seen a picture taken by the Hubble Space Telescope or the new James Webb Telescope have probably thought to themselves, wow, the universe is huge. The human brain can't even conceive of something that large. And even with today's technology, we can only even really see a fraction of the entire universe, about 93 billion light years in diameter to be exact, which is still insanely huge, and that's only just a piece of it. Which means in either direction, we can only really see about 46 billion light years. In miles, that would be 540 sextillion or 54 followed by 22 zeros. And the universe as we know it is made up of anywhere between an estimated 200 billion to 2 trillion galaxies, each comprised of billions of stars. Our Milky Way galaxy has an estimated 100 billion stars, including our sun. What's even more wild is that we think the universe is expanding. The problem is we don't actually know the shape of the universe. It could be a sphere, infinite, flat like a sheet of paper, and infinite, or open like a saddle. Even if we assume it's a sphere, it may not be expanding at the same rate in all directions. We just don't know. Several current theories all point to the universe being flat and infinite, which again, the human brain cannot even begin to process. Okay, so now that I've melted your brains and or given you a free panic attack, what is my point? Well, I'm getting there, but first we need to talk about something called the Drake Equation. So back in the late 1950s, a number of scientists were making the argument that the advancement in technology, specifically in radio telescopes, might allow for us to pick up a transmission from a distant civilization, and we might also be able to send a transmission to other distant civilizations. So 1960, a scientist named Frank Drake attempted that very thing when he focused on two sun-like stars in an attempt to listen for alien signals. Although he was unsuccessful, he did attempt to create a discussion around the possibility of life beyond Earth by creating an equation designed to estimate the number of communicative extraterrestrial civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. To this day, We really don't know, but the estimates of Earth-like planets that exist in our galaxy are somewhere between 300 million to as many as 6 billion. Extrapolate that out to the visible universe, and the numbers are astronomical. So even if the possibility of life is one in a million chance, then, well, do the math. It surely exists, and a lot. So where am I going with all this? Well, If life exists outside of our solar system, then perhaps there are civilizations older than we are. Perhaps they've advanced as a society to the extent that they've figured out ways around the vast distances between us, and maybe have even stopped by to see what we're up to. Which brings me to this week's guest, the man who wrote the book on potential alien visitors, the extraterrestrial species almanac, the ultimate guide to greys, reptilians, hybrids, and Nordics and also the book The UFO Hotspot Compendium, both by Craig Campobasso on this week's episode, Extraterrestrial Species, on From the Void.
All right. Welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Craig Campobasto on this week to talk all about uh, UAPs, UFOs, whatever you want to call them these days, aliens and, and everything uh, included. So thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, I, I picked up your book, um, like as we were talking about before we started recording, um, this is a, an aspect of the phenomenon that I've always been fascinated with because logically my brain goes to, all right, if, if there's something out there, if there's something to this phenomenon where we're seeing these objects in the sky and they are oftentimes, you know, defying our, our, uh, knowledge of, of uh, physics, uh, oftentimes, and at the very least technology, who the heck are driving these things? And so I picked it up and um, just was absolutely fascinated by it. And I love the way that you have it structured. You have a very specific way that you sort of break down each chapter. So yeah. before we get into that, um, tell people a little bit about you and uh, how you sort of got into this field to begin with. Well, I, I started to become fascinated with it when I was 26. And I just, uh, I started going to UFO conventions. I started, I think I lived at the Bodhi Tree when it was alive and well in West Hollywood, my favorite bookstore. I went through every UFO book there. I mean, I just couldn't stop reading about all these people who were having face-to-face contact with extraterrestrials who are human, right? So not greys or anything weird like that, but, uh, uh, or, you know, different, I should say, because, you know, there's good greys too. But uh, I, I just became fascinated with it over the years, um, I met all the major players. Uh, I'm friends with them all now. And um, we, uh, we talk about stuff. I mean, we're, we're uh, a bunch of us are doing a Hollywood disclosure, Steve Bassett, you know, all the major players. So we have a first big meeting in November, which I think is very cool. Um, but what what was just fascinating to me was that these people who were being picked seemed to have a connection to that race. Hmm. And it seemed that they were a star seed from that race. So when that race came to visit them, right? they would be less afraid and feel more of a connection. So that was one of the main frames that, that I noticed uh, with a lot of these cases. Now, I, I've been in the film business my whole life. Um, I primarily cast uh, film and television. I'm a casting director um, and uh, I'm also a filmmaker. Uh, I did the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, The Valiant Thor Story, and I'm gearing up for the big feature film on that as well, which is very cool. And, uh, and I've you know, produced and directed some other projects. I write a bunch of books. I have seven published. I've just finished one more book and on to the next one and all that good stuff. So 
Uh, I also have a, a book series. It'll be seven books in total. There's four out now called The Autobiography of an Extraterrestrial Saga, the book series. So um, that website's Autobiography of an A-N-E-T if people want to check it out. And um, so all of that is really fascinating. And I know we're going to get into uh, the extraterrestrial species almanac. And I, I have to tell you this amazing, amazing story, John. So I'm writing the book. You know, my, my uh, former book agent is also now an interim publisher that brings together people with a larger publisher. And he brokered a deal with MUFON, right? And so he called me. And he said, I've got a great idea for a book, and you're the guy to write it. And he said, I even have the title of the book, The Extraterrestrial Species Almanac. I went, oh, my God, I could totally write that book. And he said, well, just do up a proposal. I can sell it. And I did the proposal. Four days later, I was signing a contract with Red Wheel Wiser and MUFON Books. And I was literally working on this book immediately, right? That doesn't happen. I mean, yeah. that literally does not happen. It takes forever to, you know, do these kind of things. So, so while I'm working on the book, I get this uh, out-of-the-blue call from a lady up in Canada who tells me she's a genealogist. She's my fifth cousin, on my mother's father's side, and she's looking for info, which I gave her. We got on really well, and I said, um, you know, my, uh, I said, I have a biological father that I never met, and I can't find him on the internet. And she said, oh, I can find anybody, right? So she did. She found him, uh, but she said he had passed away, in 2006, and that he was buried at Forest Lawn across from Warner Brothers, right? So I said, you know what? I'm going down there tomorrow. So I went to the front desk. I said, do you have a name, phone number of the person who called when he passed away? His name's Fred Vero, right? My biological father. Actually, Fred Warner Vero, which will even bleed into the story a, a whole lot more in a minute. And um, so uh, they said, yes, we do. And they gave me a name. It was a, it didn't have his last name. So I came home. I looked it up. It was, a, at the time, 74-year-old ge gentleman living around the corner from me. Of course, right? So all it had was his address. I wrote him a letter. I put my picture in, said, if you know any his family send this on. Two days later, I get a phone call from this gentleman's son who said, my dad got your letter. Normally we would think this is just totally weird and would ignore it, but you look identical to Fred. And I said, well, I know, I don't even know what Fred looks like. Right? <laughs> and, um, and I, and you know, and I said, is your father one of his friends? And he said, no, it's actually his half brother. And I said, oh, so you're my cousin. And he goes, yeah, I guess I am. 
right? So I go and I meet uh, my Uncle John and my cousin Chris and for dinner. Three hours of straight-on conversation where my uncle is just looking at me like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. You look just like him. You know, he's going on and on and on and on. And he's just telling me, I just said, just tell me everything about him, right? And an hour into the conversation, he goes, oh, and by the way, uh, when he was in the Air Force, he was in Project Blue Book. Yeah. What okay. are the odds? <laughs> what? Uh, look, my, my whole body goes goosebumps even when I say it, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, that here I'm now writing books for MUFON, which is a U.S.-based nonprofit um, comprised of civilian volunteers who study reported UFO sightings. And here he was in the Air Force studying UFOs that started in 1952 and was decommissioned in January of 70. And they investigated over 11,000 sightings. And its main study was to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security and to scientifically analyze that data, right? Of course, I am friends now with Paul Hynek, who is J. Allen Hynek's son, right? So what's interesting is just, you know, connecting in to him because he knows everything about, uh, you know, the Project Blue Book, of course, with his father and things of that nature. So um, so it, it, ju- it just blew me away. Of course, I met, I, I you know... I've since found out that I had a stepbrother and uh, two stepsisters and that I have a half-sister where nobody knows. We, we can't find her. We can't even, the genealogist can't even find her. But, uh, but I've met my uh, stepbrother and stepsisters. And, you know, you never know because you don't know if people are into this stuff, if they think it's weird. So I was a little trepidatious, but, oh, my God, they're so into it. And, uh, and my uh, stepbrother just uh, drove out from Colorado and we spent uh, the whole day together. So that was cool and fun and all of that. So, I mean, it, it's just, you just, in my wildest dreams, I never would have thought that, right? And here's the other kicker. So he leaves the Air Force and comes back to L.A., and he meets somebody who's in IATSE, and he becomes a member, and he ultimately becomes the head of construction for film and TV shows at Warner Brothers. The apple truly doesn't fall far from the tree here. (laughs) And I'm in the film business, and I was working out some of the dates when I was at Universal. He was at Warner Brothers. Mm. Right? Two studios that back up to each other. I mean, it's mind-blowing. It just is mind-blowing. And I know that we were in the same place at the same time because... 
you know, I had some actor friends uh, who live at the motion picture home, and I would go with my mom to visit them. One was uh, our favorite, Mabel King. She starred in What's Happening, and she was Evelina in The Wish. She was just so amazing. I love that woman so much. So we'd go visit her, bring her goodies and, you know, that kind of thing. And what I didn't know is that my Uncle John ran it for 23 years. So he was there when I was there. And that my biological father was there because he lived the last eight years of his life in the motion picture home. Oh, my gosh. So here we are in the same place at the same time and didn't even know it. Yeah, and and have so many things in common. There's so many connections there. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, just amazing. So... All right, you talk. I talk to no, no. This is great. That, that is an insane story. Uh, the fact that you've uh, you've really been such a, a part of this um, community, and it turns out that your dad uh, kind of had already been doing that well before you, and uh, yeah. And so there's this cool connection that you guys share now, uh, kind of in a way continuing your dad's work, um, right? Yeah, continuing that legacy. How cool! Yes, so, for sure. My gosh. So. Um, I, I want to go back to a little bit about uh, sort of how you kind of categorize or, or, or organize rather this book. So, uh, I mean, the, the, the research in here is just absolutely meticulous, first of all. And, and uh, when it comes to talking about this topic, you know, there's we're really all of us are really on, on a hunt for more and more evidence. And obviously, that's right. become even more prominent uh, within the last four or five years now. Um, yeah. Especially lately, it just feels like really for the first time we're maybe getting somewhere, even if it's just incremental progress. Um, but so much of what we what we know is just based on um, you know first person testimony, and so uh, I would imagine a lot of this comes from you know firsthand accounts of people who have had experiences that you're able to gather. But what I think is cool is you kind of organize these these chapters or these sections. Uh, by origins, physical characteristics, belief system, cosmic agenda, technology, consciousness abilities, and dimensional capacity. And of course, we'll we'll, we'll get into that a little bit further. Um, yeah. But talk about like, there's a lot of different potential species in here uh, beyond just sort of the stereotypical grays that everybody thinks of when you think of aliens. Absolutely. So when I began the journey, I went back to all of the cases that I studied, right? And I went to uh, directly to the people who were having it or to their publishers, because a lot of these books are now out of print, right? Mm. So um, I went to the publishers and I got permission to do a a thumbnail review of what that contactee learned, right? So it's, um, uh, I should have probably put that in the beginning of the book because a lot of people don't understand where the information comes from unless they listen to me do a podcast. But I will say that we are now working on a hardcover all color, all brand new artwork, ET species almanac. And I'm going to add some more species in there as well. 
And uh, so that's going to be very cool. And I'm going to I'm going to definitely put that at the beginning of the book so people will understand it. It is at the end a little bit. But um, uh, so I yeah, I got the I got the permission. And then uh, what's interesting is in what I call the Galactarian alignment of space, peoples and planets, because it's an alignment of consciousness. Right. And so what they do is they share all their technology. And so, but one race might build it a little differently. Mm. And because we know from MUFON to all of the other reports, there are hundreds of different shapes of craft that have been seen. I know a guy who takes pictures almost every day in New York they, they call him outside and he takes pictures and then blows them up. And I mean, they're just all in the most amazing different shapes you've ever seen, um, including silver donut shaped ones, which were uh, first seen uh, at the incident at Maury Island, where the first men in black were said to have appeared. Right. And what's interesting I, I was me being in the film business, you know, agents and everybody are always like asking. And I said, look, all you got to do is look up into the sky. If you see something glinting, take a picture. An agent did. He got a perfect shaped silver donut craft in the middle of the day in Hollywood. Wow. I mean, amazing. Just amazing. So. Um, so there's so many different shapes. And now there's way more races. I have 82 and I had to come in under 300 pages. Um, and all the publisher wanted was a thumbnail review of each of the races. They didn't want me to go into any deep explanatory things. Um, and, because they said, you know, an almanac is just giving the basic facts is what they wanted. And I said, okay, fine. So I, I am a big fan of Paul Hellyer, you being in Canada. I'm sure you know who uh, this amazing man is. And uh, he said that he knew of 82 races visiting Earth. He's a former Canadian minister of defense, for those of you listening who don't know. And... Um, What's really cool about that is uh, I just thought, well, let me see if I can fit 82 in and I'll, that'll be my homage to Paul Hellyer, right? So I did. I was able to fit that amount in and, uh, and then sort of, um, you know, start building on what were some of the interesting races, which were some of the races that are a little even more out there. And ever since I wrote the book, I mean, people have written me about all these different beings that they've seen, um, you know, different color skins. Um, Dr. Frank Stranges, uh, who uh, befriended Valiant Thor and was on his craft many times and on a starship. And on the starship, you have beings from all over the, this universe and other universes. And he would tell me of the different kinds of skin. He said, it's not just every color. 
He said, you see that. But then there's people who have a rainbow wash on their skin. There's people who have zebra skin that's black and white. Um, there were... Uh, uh, another woman wrote to me and said that she was in contact with what they call peppered Pleiadians because they had little dots all hmm. over their skin. And I, I just filed it in, in my bank, in my head bank or my head space about what Dr. Frank said about the zebra skin. And then one day I was listening to Linton, Linda Mooton Howe and she was talking about a contactee and uh, this great story with this contactee. And the beings had zebra skin. Huh. And I went, wow, there you go. There you go. So, so it, there, I mean, there's so much that's out there. Um, I mean, we couldn't even begin to know just our universe because Really, when you look at, when you look at the whole um, uh, the whole ovum of creation, it's seven super universes with seven hundred thousand local universes within each of those ovums that fan out interdimensionally into infinity. Mm. Right. So, I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, and of course, it, it stands to reason that even within the human race or, you know, earthlings, whatever you want to call them, um, we have many different colors of skin and different uh, physical features, you know, within different races. And so, of course, you know, if we are expanding that out exponentially into the universe, I mean, right. it stands to reason that there would be a multitude of diversity within that. Right. Well, there's, I mean, uh, Pleiadians, said, uh, Pleiadians have lived here, Syrians, uh, Clarions. Um, this is an actual Clarion being right here from the Maurizio Cavallo case. Her name is Nelfa, and she deals with astrobiology. She works between Clarion, Earth, Mars, and Venus. And um, so she works between the physical and the astral dimension. And they're always looking to make sure that it has an equilibrium so that everything is balanced. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit, because, um, you know, obviously I want to kind of jump into the different various. Right. I mean, you sort of have it categorized. Um, I, I think the first section is is sort of more humanoid. Or like, you know, right. for lack, lack of a better way of putting it, just more human-like. You know, they would look closer to uh, what you and I look like. Right. Uh, to sort of the, the the races that seem to fall more into the category of like looking like the greys with the larger heads and larger eyes. Uh, reptilian, sort of reptilian uh, type type species and, and beyond. Um, but, the, but what I thought was really interesting, one of the... the uh, sections that you included in here with, within each uh, race is also sort of their motivations and why they're visiting, sort of what they're up to, which I thought right. was fascinating as well. Um, I think uh, so often, with even within the UFO community, there's this ongoing debate always um, when it when it comes to visitors from outer space. Right. Like, are they up to no good? Are we just, you know, 
uh, food, you know, for, for an alien race or, or slave labor, or are they coming here to warn us that, Hey, dum dums, you're about to destroy yourselves, knock it off and trying to yeah. help us raise the, uh, the general consciousness. So, uh, talk a little bit about that. Like there seems to be a common thread throughout most of these alien species in terms of what they're here for. There are, and it also depends on the contactee and what information also that they've been given. Um, look, just like we have here, uh, World Dualistic Society, right? Up there in, in the uh, awakened worlds, they are all 100% fully conscious, right? They are in their perfection bodies they live a very very long time if they're one of the created beings or the immortals they live forever right and they they can after 11 they call it 11 econs they can shift their personality and their look to become someone different, to look different, to be different, because, you know, can you imagine going on throughout eternity being the same being? But it's not that the other beings would not recognize them. They would still recognize them and still feel who they are and that kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I find that very, very interesting. And... The, the enlightened beings, they are really here taking a temperature on the other ones who have agendas here and that kind of thing. So here's, here's how I understand it. So let's say, great, let's take grays, for instance, right? So if they want to come here and steal our genetics, they know that it's against universal law to swoop in and start abducting people. So they'll go to the leaders and they will offer them advanced technology. They'll tease them with advanced technology, let's say, right? Um, they've given them ships before, but they can't get in them because they're organic. And if it's not tuned to your DNA, you can't open it. Right. So um, and then what they do is they sign these treaties with them that they can abduct people on the street. You know, the, the less desirables on the planet is how it was said in the beginning. Right. Um, and, but what ends up happening is then lots and lots of people are being abducted. They're having all these different kinds of things. And some come to believe that it was their purpose because there are star seeds that come in and that they allow the advanced beings to come in and take samples of their DNA to also build a hybrid race that will live here when the world shifts out of duality. They'll be teachers 
for everyone who was on the planet at the time because they're going to feel a connection to them because they're both of Earth and of the universe, right? But they will be human, of course. So, but then there's the ones that take it, uh, you know, to build. Like, uh, if we get into the reptilians, the reptilians take it to build um, races that are, that have evil intent to become soldiers for their whole empire, right? So they've done all kinds of uh, crazy mixtures of DNA with all different kinds of beings and mixing them and that kind of thing, especially with dinosaur DNA, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to make something really aggressive, you'll go for a raptor or you'll go for a little of the T-Rex. Not that they're going to look like that. They're going to still be in a humanoid form. They, they're, they're actually, reptilians are very, they're masters. I mean, they are supreme masters at genetics. They really know what they're doing. So, so they can create any of those things. They can create reptilians inside they can create a human body with a reptilian in it hmm. so if they keep hybridizing it into stage after stage after stage eventually they can get it to where it's human and then it can come and live on the planet and it can do and it works for the reptilians right but it's a human so um, I think I've only once saw somebody that I, I, I said, oh, my God, that's, uh, you know, that's somebody I don't want to be around. And, and I could feel it. And I felt in, in my long tenure, only about four people where I said, oh, those are rep they're reptilian influenced, right? Mm -hmm. Because they can influence them, too. Because if a person does a lot of drugs or had done a lot of drugs or uh, smokes a lot or whatever, anything that will tear a hole in the aura, they can get in and they can start manipulating the mind, right? And, um, and they do. They actually have rooms where beings just sit there and focus on a certain person and they just keep sending the dark stuff over and over and over again. And there's been people who have talked about this and, uh, you know, and how, how are they going to get out of that? Well, they've got to, they got to get their life together and they got to get on a health track and meditate. And, um, I mean, I would go and get a bunch of healings and that kind of thing. So, um, but I mean, there's so many things and, and, you know, I've talked to some pretty high up people who were fascinated with what I know because when you're awake, you can see a lot of things and it's a whole different experience than being asleep, right? And they said to me, they said, if you 
can think of the weirdest thing, you can times it by 10, and it is out there. We have seen all of it. Wild. Right? I mean, it's wild. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a uh, UFO hotspot, but... I mean, there, uh, when we get there, let's talk about Bradshaw Ranch, because, man, there's some crazy stuff going on there interdimensionally, right? And things that manifest. Thanks for listening to this episode of From the Void. If you enjoyed this or any episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review Uh, It helps us get new listeners and get in front of new people. Uh, Otherwise, we will be back next week with part two of my conversation with UFO UAP researcher and author Craig Campobasso. And until then, you've been listening to From the Void.